Here we are. The title of this message is The Beginning of the End. The Prologue. <laughs> the Beginning of the End. The Prologue. It's Revelation. So open up your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited to be here. I don't know about you. I know there's a place I'd rather be, and that's being translated to heaven, but uh, right now we're here. So um, let's enjoy this. The book of Revelation. Um, the book of Revelation has always been considered one thing. It's a book about the last things. This is what's going to happen at the end times. Uh, the first three chapters of the book are really uh, a reiteration of what's going to happen or what the churches look like, but we'll get to that later on. But today is really the beginning of a great life, if you think about it. If you're in Christ, you are having your best life right now, but there's going to be a better one later on. That's what you have to look forward to. There is a better one later on. And it's not that far away. Not that I know the exact date or time. The other night, while my wife was off in Virginia seeing the grandkids, I, I watched a movie. And uh, the, the, the movie was about the end times. I figured, oh, I'm going to be preaching on that. I might as well go watch a movie. It was called, I think it was a Left Behind movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, you know. I, I don't know if I'd ever seen it before. While it was speaking about the end times, there were a lot of things in there that were very incorrect about the last times. But this movie gave me one understanding, one insight that I really, really appreciated, that in the end, men are still ignorant. Did you, do, you know, do you understand that? In the book of Revelation, men are still ignorant as to what God is doing. They have their eyes shut to him, their ears shut to him, their mouths shut to him. They don't want to hear about him. They want to believe it's something else. But that's what I got out of that movie, that it's going to happen. Do you know what? That's what's happening today, isn't it? Isn't that what's happening today? Men don't want to hear about it. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody and, and they go, you know, I, I've heard that before. That happens so often. It is not until you know the Lord. It's not until you are saved. It is not until you open up the scriptures, you begin to study them, that you actually can understand what's going to happen in the end. I know there are many different theories and uh, uh, theologies towards the end there, but I, I think it's really pretty clear. We're not going to get into that just yet. John here in the introduction here, John here in the prologue, if we want to call it such, is going to give us four matters and helping us to be able to navigate through the beginning of Revelation. In order to get some headway here and get some traction, I, I wanted to leave these out for you as, as clearly as possible. There are four introductory matters, if we want to put it that way, of the prologue. The first is the title of the Revelation. That's in verse 1. If you're taking notes, this would be good for you to take the notes here. Okay, This way you don't have to ask later what was the second point. Point number one is uh, the title of the Revelation, number one, I should say verse number one. The second point of the introductory matters is the testimony of the Revelation. We see that in verse two. 
And then in verse 3, we see the terms of the revelation in 3a. And then we see the time of the revelation in 3b. I think it really opens it up for us, makes it clear. I stole some of that from someone else, but I added my own to it. So uh, where you can find me, I don't know. Anyway, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. I'm excited. I hope you are. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which gave God gave to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the, the title of the book. That's the title of what this section is. That's what the purpose is. It's a revelation. That's why we call it such. Jesus is the divine author. John is the human writer of the book. Uh, the word revelation is from the Greek word apocalypsis. Uh, this word means an uncovering, an, uh, a revealing, or an unveiling, if you want to put it that way. It's something that had not been known before and now is being unveiled to people. That's what's happening. This particular word occurs, this apocalypsis, occurs 18 times in the New Testament. Paul uses this word 13 times. Uses it in a little bit of a different sense, but in, in essence, it's almost the same thing. And so we're going to take a look at those. He's going to say that this mystery is being unveiled. It, it's something that was once hidden, now is going to be understood by people, is going to be able to be grasped by them. But turn with me to, Revel, uh, to Romans 16.25. Romans 16.25. And Paul says there in 16.25, he says this, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. He's speaking of the, the Jewish nation didn't quite see it, and so now the mystery is being unveiled to them. They're able to see it. They are without excuse. Do you know what? The people on this planet are without excuse. I don't care where language, what country, what area you're from, they are without excuse. It's been unveiled to them. It's that written in many, many different languages. It's understood, but even besides that, we know that there's a creator God. How do we know? Because of the creation. This just didn't happen, folks. The other way they know is through the conscience, and that, that's in Romans chapter 2. Turn with me now to... Um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 should be one page over. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apocalypsis, the soon coming, is what he's talking about here. That's what he's revealing to them. There's another one in 2 Thessalonians. We're not going to look at all of them. 2 Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven 
with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's the end, folks. Paul is giving him, this is what's going to happen. That's what's going to occur. That's what's going to happen at the tribulation. This book of Revelation that we're studying here is a prophetic book. It's about what John was able to see that was revealed to him. He, he adds nothing to it. He subtracts nothing from it. John is more of a court reporter, if you want to, in that sense. And I met a court reporter, and I don't know if it was in this class or not, but somebody is a court reporter, and what do they do? They keep typing everything that's being said. Well, he's better than a court reporter because he also puts the scene. He gives you the picture of what's there. So he's doing the court reporting, but he's going to show you what's in the future judgment. The question comes, is Jesus Christ the revealer or the revealed? Somebody asked me that already. The question comes, is Jesus Christ the revealer or the revealed? I simply and definitively say that Jesus is the revealer. Why? Because that is what happens throughout the book. He's revealing over and over and over again things for us. He reveals and, and he addresses the seven churches. He talks to them directly. And he says, this is where you're failing. This is where you're doing good. This is where you need to improve. All of those kinds of things. We're not going to get there today. He opens the scrolls. Look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And it says there, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. He's going to open the book in the seven seals. He's the revealer of the book. Look at verse 7. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So he's the revealer showing what needs to be seen, and, and he also discloses the contents of the book. Revelation 6, 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. The Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and he's revealing what's to come, what's going to happen. We see it in 6.3 as well. When he broke the second seal, and I heard the se second living creature say, come, he's going to reveal, he's the one who's going to open that for us. And you can jot the other verses down, which we're not going to necessarily look at. But 6.1, and 8.1. Over and over again, he's the one who's revealing. He is the revealer. Here and only here is this uncovering so intense and significant because it has to do with the end of mankind. Mankind as we know it here on this planet. Not mankind in the world to come, but mankind as we know it. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What this opening title is trying to communicate is that this is the Jesus who has completed and continues to complete the mediatorial work of our Lord and Savior. He's done it, and he continues to do it. How does he continue to do it? We see, still see people getting saved. We still see people getting saved. When I was in Rome a couple of weeks ago, and that's why 
uh, my friend here is trying to speak in Italian. Um, Jordan Stanrich, one of our missionaries that's there in Rome, he's in northern Rome. Uh, he uh, came by one day and picked me up from my hotel, and he said, Let, let's go take you to see some sights. I said, well, I've been here before. I said, you don't have to do that. Let's go sit in a coffee shop. <laughs> now let me take you to see some sights. So we did. We went to the church where you climb up on your knees. I don't know if you've ever seen that, a picture of that, them climbing on their knees. And they get to the top of those steps, and guess what they get? They get pronounced to make a seven-year um, indulgence that takes care of their sins for seven years in purgatory, if you were to believe in purgatory. Former Roman Catholic, I, I was banking on purgatory. <laughs> I was hoping for purgatory, believe it or not. But that was as a Roman Catholic. And they climb up on their knees, and we only saw about, I don't know, half a dozen of them. When we left and came back, there must have been 20 or 30 of them heading up the stairs, climbing up on their knees to get up to the top to get their seven-year indulgence. You could just wonder, why, why would you want to do something like that? Well, how, how is that going to take care of your issues? Jordan and I went around the side, and we walked up the steps, okay, these other steps that were there. And we get to the top, and there's a man there. And the two, he engages him because he starts speaking in Italian with him. And I don't have a war, I have a clue what they're saying. Okay, it's going back and forth and back and forth. And then I spoke, and the man looked at me and says, you American? And guess what? He knew English. So we began to talk there. And so I said to him, I said, you know, it just baffles my mind. Why do these people go up on the steps like this to get a seven-year indulgence of off of purgatory? What about Jesus? Was Jesus not enough? He took a step back. And then Jordan introduced me as a pastor from America. <laughs> we had a very congenial conversation. He was not dressed in the normal priestly thing. He had a, um, a sweatshirt on, basically, and I had some kind of insignia, which I didn't know what it meant. But that's what he had. In, and I said, but I, I, I just don't understand. Why would they have to do that if Jesus already went to the cross? He's already taken the punishment for the sins of man. And, and he looked, and he tried to answer, but he didn't. And I said, you know, and, and I said, my friend here, who's, who's a missionary here in Rome, told me about this church that's across the street, that they open this door up every 25 years they open it up. And when they open up that door, you walk through it, you get all of your indulgences paid for, and you don't have to go to purgatory. So as a seven-year-old, I could have, didn't have to sweat. I could have just come to Rome and gone through the door, you know? And I, and I said to him, but why not keep the door open all the time? Why not keep it open all the time? Let people walk through there all the time so that they get all of their time in purgatory taken care of. He still didn't have an answer. I said, this is really no different than those faith healers in Protestantism that say that they can heal people. Because if they really could heal people, they would go into the children's hospitals in, in, in Los Angeles and New York and heal all those children. That's what they would do, but they don't. I said, one is as phony as the other, and he looked at me and went, yeah, 
He liked the idea that I threw the Protestants under the bus, too. <laughs> we had a very amicable opportunity here to speak with this man, but I, I challenged him to think more deeply about that. To think more deeply about that. There, there are no indulgences, folks. There are no easy ways to heaven. It's, it takes repentance. It takes belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it takes. There, there's, there's not a side door that you can come in and just hope that somehow, you know, I, I made it. Whew. I go to Grace Church. That's why I should be led into heaven. Uh-uh. No, there are no side doors. Jesus Christ came to take away sins, and he gives eternal life. Not part life, not only life. When, when, when uh, he, he wants to give it, he gives it all the time. Jesus has completed the work of salvation. There's nothing that we can do for it. John continues in his reason here for the revelation. I'm sorry that I went off on that, but I had to get something in from Italy. You know? By the way, there probably would be a few others. <laughs> um, what a great time. John continues in the reasons for this revelation. And we see that in verse 1. And he says this, to show to his bondservants, that's his slaves, some of you may be reading the legacy standard, his slaves, the things which must soon take place. If you're a reader in the second century reading this, what you're thinking is going to soon take place is persecution. That's going to be on your mind. That's what you're going to be thinking about is persecution because per persecution was beginning to happen. Um, we see that uh, John going to Patmos, that, that was the indication that was beginning to happen is that persecution was going to come. It also communicates the soon return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, soon there is going to offer encouragement to the first century, second century. What does it do for you, the soon return? Does it give you hope? Does it give you encouragement that Jesus Christ is going to come? I mean, that word soon is used very, very often. Soon means in a brief time, doesn't it? You know, if I, I tell my wife I'm, I'm going to be to dinner soon, she's expecting me to walk in the door. If I'm going to soon uh, graduate from seminary, that means you're about to take your finals kind of thing, you know, or the professor has your papers and you pray that he can walk through the door of indulgence, you know. <laughs> Whatever it is. John MacArthur included this about the word soon. Quote, the knowledge that the events depicted in the book of Revelation are soon to take place has and should motivate us. You see, if you think that Jesus Christ is going to come this afternoon, you may take care of some of the issues in your life. You may start repenting of some of the things that are going on in your heart and in your life. Some of the people that you may have disagreements with and you start making those, um, asking for forgiveness in those proper areas. John went on to say this. They may motivate us as Christians, to live obedient lives. That's what soon should do there for us today. Yeah, it's been 2,000 years, or maybe even more than 2,000 years, but you know what? 
soon. He's returning. This word, using this word soon or shortly, does not have the same meaning, though, that we assign to it. Some folks say that the scriptures can't be correct because it's 2,000 years. And if it says soon there, it hasn't happened, so Jesus isn't fulfilling what he said he was going to do. But you see, you have to understand it in the proper, proper way. Look at 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses eight, verse 8. And it says there, <clears throat> 2 Peter 3, 8. Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to use the divine soon. That's what basically this is. 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So, in a sense, Jesus has only had two days go by. But you know what? I also want to add this to it. Jesus is out of, uh, out of time. He's out of the realm of time. You're in time. You know, you've got to do this today, tomorrow, next day. You've got to go to work on Monday, that kind of thing. He's outside of time. So he doesn't have anything that's holding him back there. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. I got to say, thank you, Lord, for being patient with me. 30 years of stupidity? How did he do that? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's what he calls us to, is to repent. The repentance, and I, I'm studying that for next Sunday night, uh, repentance means you change your mind. You're going in one direction, you go in another direction. That's what you have to do. You don't, you don't just say, oh, I'm sorry. No, you repent, you change your actions. Whatever your actions were, they are not to be anymore. That's what happens here. That's what repentance, true repentance is. It's not just a, oh, I slipped again, and you know, I get people coming to my office week after week after week doing the same thing. Well, I turn my collar around, I say, I'm now a priest, right? Because that's what you're treating me as. You confess and you do. You confess and you do. You confess and you do. No, you confess, you repent, you change. You do something about it. That's what Jesus, even here in, in Revelation 1, is talking to us about, is that we need to change. He's going to soon come. Are you ready for him? If you're in the middle of that one particular sin that you enjoy and you do often, would you want him to come back and see you participating in that one particular sin? I think not. Change. Do something about it. Even though we do not have the exact time of his return, we are to be prepared. It's all throughout Scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We are to be prepared for that day, that time that our Lord returns. Matthew 24, verse 42. And it says there, therefore, be on the alert. 
be on the alert, be on the ready. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if he if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. You're going to, you're going to be looking at the things, things are going to go well, and, and you're going to say, oh, he's not coming now. You know, we may get through the whole pandemic, we may get through the wars, the rumors of wars, the pestilence, all of these things, and hey, you know what, we got through it. He's not coming now. That may be the exact time that he does come. That may be the exact time that he does come. One thing for sure, no one, and I mean no one, and I, I followed some guys who kept coming up with dates, you know, and they can't calculate the time. They can't calculate the events. We had this one fellow here who's in California. I think he was up in the San Francisco Bay Area. He kept coming up with a new date. Well, I was playing golf one day with a, a fellow who was a graduate of our seminary here, and he said that was his uncle. <laughs> I said, well, how does he do in the family? He says, he's not part of the family. The family doesn't, we, don't, we can't talk about those things because it just sets him off. No one, and I mean no one, can calculate the time. It says in Matthew 24, 36, look at there, it's just a few verses ahead. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Listen to this, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of God, but the Father alone. At that point, only God knew himself. The incarnate Christ did not know this communication of soon here, the re soon return of Christ, is marshalling in the end times. That's what he's trying to do. These end times is given here a picture by John. John was actually able to watch this whole thing, to view this whole thing, all things that are to come. That is why this book is so exciting, because you're getting a picture of something that hasn't happened yet. And this is not a movie. This is not Hollywood. This is reality that hasn't happened yet. Everything that is to come will be described. Everything that will be experienced will be seen and heard and read in this study. You can't get away from it. It's there over and over and over again. It's going to assault your mind. You're going to wonder, how can this happen? When, when I was teaching through the book of Zechariah to see what was going to happen at the end there, which hadn't happened yet, I, I, I became upset because of all the people that were going to be hurt and murdered and killed and all of that kind of stuff. But you know what? That is good because God said so. There's a progression of this message, folks. Let's go back to Revelation. There's a progression of this message that we need to take a quick look at. It starts with God, which God gave to him, that is Jesus, but it was sent via his angel to his bondservant John. This makes the point that God is sovereign over all, the Godhead is in complete union, and they set the stage for what is to happen, not mankind. Folks, global summits do not change the climate. God will change the climate. 
They, make no, they can make as many plans as they want. They can send as many billions of dollars wherever they want. It's not going to change the climate. Look with me at uh, Daniel chapter 9. Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel 9. <clears throat> and in, in Daniel 9, we see the same kind of transmission of truth being given here in, in, in Daniel 9, verse 20. And it says there, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, can you imagine Daniel's up there just repenting of all of these things, confessing sin that he did, his, the people did, all, all the people of Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain um, of, God, of my God. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, they call him the man, but it's really an angel. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. There is an angel that comes, and that's what we have here in Revelation. There's an angel who comes. He transmitted that truth to John. He communicated that truth to John. We see this also in Zechariah, if you want to go there. Uh, Zechariah 1.9, about the transmission of truth there. Zechariah 1.9, um, that's a back it, Bill. Zechariah 1.9. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. The angel is communicating to the prophet here, to the prophet Daniel, and to the prophet John. That's what they're doing. This is what's happening in the Revelation. The Revelation is given by God to Jesus, communicated to the angel, and then to John, the bondservant. That's the, the, the force of what's going on there, the, um, what's happening there. John is the last of the living disciples of Jesus. Up to this point, there are none left. He's the last one. He must have been very young when he was called as a disciple, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's been 65 years have passed since the death of Christ. And he's still alive. So he must have been quite young. When he was sent to Patmos for exile, it is believed that the authorities did that because they were afraid the believers would have an uprising because they killed that last uh, apostle. And so they didn't want to make him a hero. And so they sent him back to that island there that was what they called the Rock. Um, I think it's pretty nice myself, but they call it a rock. And um, they didn't want him to be the hero of martyrdom. So the revelation, the title there, gives you the first aspect there. Now the second introductory matter of the revelation is found in verse 2. Verse 2. Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw who testified to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the revelation given by God 
the testimony of Jesus Christ. He wants his readers to understand he is not writing about some dream or some daydream. See, that's, that often would be a, a person would be accused. You know, if somebody starts telling me some kind of a, a dream that they have these uh, sightings of God in their life, but it's in a dream, I'm like, wait a minute. It's like the guy who told me that uh, he got saved when he went to heaven uh, when he was uh, three years old because he saw Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in a, in a, in a dream. Well, no, man, there's no way. This is not what, G what happened with John. Please take note that John placed himself in the perspective of the readers. He says this, and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, verse 2, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. John, from the outset, wants the reader of this letter to know that these things are what he saw. These are things what he heard. They were reality. They weren't a dream, a vision. John is writing about what was told to him, what he actually experienced. Now, he experienced something that's going to happen, but has already happened. But John is yet to see it, or did he really see the vision? That's the question, folks. Here's the question. But John is yet to see it, or did he really see the vision, and is he now writing? That's a question that I had, that commentators were trying to take apart. Did, Jesus, did he really see it, or is he about to see it? The commentators like to throw doubt on the scriptures this way. They like to say that, well, it was added to the scriptures after they were written. Folks, you can't add to a scroll in the beginning. There are no forward pages to a scroll. So that didn't happen. It wasn't uh, uh, like the pages that we have. So they couldn't have added this to the beginning of it. So that's a good bottom line question there. And um, John is trying to tell us he saw it and wrote it. And at the same time, it was about to come. Do I have a problem with that? No. God can do whatever he wants to do. I don't have to try to figure all of that out. And so this is what John is testifying to. This is the word of God, the living God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, and even to all that he saw and nothing else. He's not adding to it. He's not taking anything from it. So we have the uh, title of the book. Now we have the testimony of the book. Now we have the uh, terms of revelation. We see that in verse 3. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Folks, throughout Scripture, we can't get away from it. The Scripture's written for you to hear it and to change, for you to hear it and for you to learn, for you to hear it and not to do those things anymore. Let's go back to Matthew. I, I love this last call by Jesus as he's leaving the planet. And he says in Matthew 28, 
and these are the last words that we have of him in Matthew. And he says this, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's what we're supposed to do. He, he teaches us what we're supposed to do. Well, folks, another thing that I don't want to let slip by without making mention of is that you thought you had left the Beatitudes back in the Sermon on the Mount. You didn't. There's another one here. Blessed is he who reads. This is another Beatitude. Blessed is the one who reads. Do you know there are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation? Not just back in Matthew, but we also have them here. Now, I made a note to myself, read these if you have time. <laughs> I don't. But I do want to read you another one. Um, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Just one. You'll have to believe me on the rest. Revelation 14, 13, and it says there, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Why would it be blessed to die in the Lord? This is the tribulation, folks. This is your last chance. You better be, you better be in the Lord. If you're not, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. 1413, if, if you want to know the others, it's 1615, 199, 20, verse 6, 22, verse 7, and 22, verse 14. Those are the other Beatitudes that you'll find in the book of Revelation. In verse 3 here that we're trying to look at here, it indicates that those who reads the Revelation... Those who hear the revelation and then applies the book of Revelation is blessed. He who reads, by the way, that's in the singular. So that means one person is reading it. In, in the days of um, John and being on the uh, Patmos and first century, second century, um, you didn't have a lot of books. Um, we didn't have Crossway in the, in that point, at that point didn't have other publishers there. You have one person reading it, and it says there, to those who hear, that is in the plural. So the one person's reading it for everyone in the worship service. That's what would happen. That went on for centuries, folks. That went on for centuries. The implication is that if you hear the Word of God, you read the Word of God, you will obey it. I don't know that you come to Christ to not obey it. I don't know that you come to Christ to, to just say, let's try this for a little while. But you come to Christ because he's changed your heart and your life. The message of your life changes. That's why. He who reads, those who hear, that is what happens. They change. 
Blessed is he who reads. We see this in verse 3 here. We'll go back to that. By the way, that's the um, last um, uh, beatitude for this particular dispensation because after this, it happens in the tribulation, which is a whole other time. Additionally, when the seven churches are addressed, they all have this said to them, he who hears, let him hear what the Spirit in the churches says. Look at verse uh, at Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're going to hear it, this is what the Lord is saying. Those who hear, heed it. There's only one group of people who hear it and do it, and that is the believer. They hear it, and they do it. There are others who may hear the word, but because they don't know him, they don't do it. There was an expectation in the early church that someone would read the scriptures the, the day of worship. We've mentioned that already. The other expectation is that the response to God's word would be an obedient living. The keeping, the observing of it. Listening to his instructions. Um, Luke 11. If you just want to jot it down, you can. Luke 11, 28. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Jesus, once again, speaking here. It's not just a matter of folks hearing it. It's a matter of doing it. Folks, this book is not written as some extraordinary piece of literature. This book is for the mind. The mind responds in obedience to what is being communicated to it. And here, the apostle is saying, and heed the things which are written in it. God wants his people to live in the light of the current redemptive story. And that's what we are to be doing. The fourth introductory matter of Revelation here is the time of Revelation. For the time is near. I don't know about you, but I, every time I see that, I think of hallelujah, come Lord Jesus. I want him to come quickly, now. The time is soon, but there is no date given in the book. We've said that already. It is to be treated as an eminent return that is going to happen shortly. It's going to happen at any moment. The warning to obedience found in the beginning of this verse is augmented by the fact that the Lord is returning soon. Word for time occurs seven times in the book of Revelation. That is important to the book of Revelation. Revelation is not the only place to find the warning of obedience and, and the time being near. Turn with me. I've got a few of these, and I have time for one or two of them. Revelation 13, 12. And in Revelation 13, 12, it says here, uh, the night... Well, let's look at... Ver start in verse 11. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Did I say Revelation? Okay, I'm sorry. Romans. It's right near it. It's in the New Testament. Romans 13, Romans 13, 12. You know, if you say a word enough, you know, you're supposed to understand it. <laughs> Romans 13, 12, 11 and 12. Um, Hebrews also has that same kind of warning. And let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is coming. It's not that far away. 1 Peter 4.7. And I'm skipping some, folks. I want you to know that. But 1 Peter 4.7. It says there, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of of prayer. There is a coming, and he's coming soon. Be ready for it. Folks, this revelation that we're looking at, we're going to start to look at, is the fulfillment of, of what is working up to it. Mark chapter 1, verse Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And I think we're pull the Bus over after this and Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says this the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel there may be some in here that have not done that yet there may be some in here that are playing church there may be some in here that are just taking their time about, hey, I, I, I'm doing this to satisfy my spouse. I'm doing this to look good before my kids. Hey, I've known lots of people that come here just to bring their kids. Then after the kids grow up, they never come back. That's sad. That's sad, especially when you hear all that truth over and over and over again. Are you one of them? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the gospel means there's a change of life. There's a change of direction. Perfection, no. I, I know that. I certainly know that. But there needs to be a change of life. The things that you used to do, you shouldn't be doing anymore. I, I know when you first come to Christ, certain things just sort of evaporated and went away. But there are still other things that you need to continue to work on. It does say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, God is in you to work and to will his good pleasure, Philippians 2. But that's what we are about, people who look different than the rest. Today we saw four introductory matters. These are just things to try to get the whole book in perspective, try to give you a picture of what's going to come. We saw the title of the Revelation in verse 1, saw the testimony of Revelation verse 2, we saw the terms of the revelation in verse 3a, and then the time of the revelation in 3b. Folks, I hope this is a wonderful study for you. Uh, it has been for me, um, and, and, I, and I pray that as we continue to look at this, you will continue to look at you. You will continue to look at you before the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming soon. 
I know that. And are we ready for him? Father, just thank you for today. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord. Continue to convict us of sin. Continue to help us cling to the cross, to run to the cross. Thank you for what you did at Calvary, that we don't have to climb upstairs. We don't have to walk through a door that's only opened every 25 years. We don't have to genuflect or all of those other things that people think are necessary. We just have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he came and completed that work for us. We need to repent of our sins and turn from them to give you glory and praise and honor. Pray this in your name. Amen.